Good evening and welcome to another edition to Ramsey Unleashed Going Beyond Borders. This is our third instalment of the rebrand. As Tonight, breaking news, Glasgow has burning again. Uh, The Charles Rennie McIntosh building uh, has been on fire again since last night. Burning into adjacent buildings is pretty much reduced to a shell after four years ago when the first blaze kicked in. The building has been standing since it was built in 1909 from Charles Rennie McIntosh. We have the £35 million refurbishment of the building, funded also by stars of like Brad Pitt and Peter Capaldi, ex-Doctor Who. So at the moment, they, we do not know the update. Uh, there has been still some fire kicking around at the back of the building, uh, still not uh, put out officially, trying to dampen that down, and hopefully in the next few days you will find out of the extent of the damage. At the moment, the building is pretty much a shell after the dawn broke this morning, after a, uh, the place was just a, a lit with orange, uh, and it's completely just a bit wrecked, completely. So that's the breaking news. Glasgow was a lit uh, 1909 building has basically on a second fire within four years plus there was a recent fire in a similar area in Glasgow Um, so it's a bit of a shame of a historic landmark building it is now pretty much reduced to ash that's what's been happening. Uh, yes, we are competing tonight with the World Cup. The World Cup is on. If you've been, if you're soccer fans or football fans, or how you want to, how you want to say it, um, that's what I suggest. If, well, I, th- I put my Facebook on the computer, hence I'm getting a, a ping, which is not so good. So I need to ditch that. Uh, but anyway, apologies for the pings. But anyway, uh, welcome to the the show. Anyway, we have our special guest on the show. Um, and she's all the way from the good old USA, and it's Ifia Lethem. She has a former artist. She has sadly had to... Her, her daughter passed away, and she's also her... Tell her story how she became a Christian and how what she does now regarding um, her book, her Frame You Day uh, Facebook um, channel thing that she does, and her jewellery business, and many, many other things that she's going to talk about. This girl is transparent. She's going to, she's been through it, and she's going to talk about it, and she's going to inspire you. Uh, and certainly what, something she does on a regular basis through her Frame Your Day uh, Facebook Live show is inspiring people. So uh, tune in, and uh, yeah, and let's uh, start the show. So welcome, Ifia Lethem. How are you doing? I'm good. Fraser, how are you? Yes, I'm good. I'm, uh, yes, uh, I had to sort of uh, wake up a bit after my, I was sitting, relaxing, watching the football with Aloha and her husband, uh, and I got a bit, the sofa's a bit too comfortable, so I was kind of like, I need, I need to wake up here quickly, so I've got a show to do, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's what I was doing. So, um, yeah, I slapped myself about the face and I'm awake. Yes, so uh, we're here, we're cooking my gas, we're ready to rock and roll, and thank you for being a part of the show today, and thank you for being available, and being on heartsonline.co.uk, Ramsey on these Going Beyond Borders, and we are certainly are going beyond borders with Many, many up incoming guests going forward on the show, as you have seen in this private group we have. We've got some talented people uh, like yourself. And uh, yeah, so I mean, what do you think of the people so far that you've kind of met or interacted with? Everybody is amazing. Everybody's got such a 
depth to them and everybody's so open to connecting with each other. And that's, that's I think, such a great thing because sometimes we don't actually get to experience that because of competition where people feel they have to be competing with each other. But when we realize we all just work together, it's such a great thing. Yeah, and I've all, um, for, I mean, that's what I like about it. I just say, listen, network away, chat to people. You never know who you might connect with. You never know that, especially I've got some great artists, upcoming artists. I've got today on the show, for music on the show, I'm playing Aaron Rigdon. He is a Canadian country artist. He's recently just released some of his music. So you'll be hearing a song from him later in the show. Uh, depending on how we go and how our conversation, how this wonderful interview goes, we will be might hear from um, Riley Seibert, uh, Seibert, Seibert, how you pronounce it. Uh, and our song is uh, just sent me as well, which is along the lines of country, but it's very good. So but anyway, let's kick off. Um, let's not hold back. So Ephiel, tell us, tell us about who you are, where you're from, growing up. Tell us yourself, your life. What's been life like as a kid and before you came into music, basically? Um, so before we start, I want to say thank you so much for having me on Ramsey Unleashed. No worries. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I've, I've been telling everybody, I'm like, you better check it out on Saturday. You got to check it out on Saturday. So where do I come from? What is it? What's my life been like? I was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, for those who don't know, in Canada. And I grew up in a single mother home. My mom had two kids, so me and my sister. Um, my mom was that type of person that she opened her door to basically to whoever needed that, you know, whoever needed a roof over their head. So we had a lot of family that came in in our house or that journeyed through from one point to the next. Um, so we always had a house full of people. And that's just something that I've always known is always having family around and being around family. And although we, my mom was a single mom, she had a lot of support from her siblings that were in the city as well, who helped out with, um, with us, with her. Um, so we grew up in, and it's funny because we grew up in a, in a low income area, but I never knew, we never knew, me and my sister, we never knew it was low income yeah. because we weren't ever deprived of anything. And it was one of those things where my mom, as amazing as she is, I never knew that we did not have. I mean, I went to, as a child, I started dance classes and dance school at two and a half or three years old. And I became technically trained for 12 years, 12 years, 12 years, 12 I think it was about 12 years. We were, I was a technically trained dancer and that cost money. You know, I did multiple dances. I was on a competition team. My sister did the same thing. And yet we lived in low income housing. And, you know, we were one of those kids that like, if you looked at the kids in the area, you could see that there was something different with us, me and my sister compared to everybody else. And my mom always said, you're not going to end up like these like street kids. You're not. So, you know, growing up, I was into into the arts. I was into sports, very, very heavily into sports. I played mm -hmm. every sport in school that you could think of. Wow. If the school offered it, I played it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was just that was like through elementary school. If if the school offered the sport, I played it. Wow. And then. Yeah. What was your best, I, what was your best sport out of the ones that you played? 
Oh, did you? My best sport. I would. I had like. I think I equaled through three of them: um, track and field, um, basketball, and volleyball. Uh, okay. Those were my three like favorite to to participate in. But I, if I had to pick one of the three, it'll be basketball. Okay. For sure. Um, I played. I played soccer slash football, <laughs> however right. we want to call it. Um, <laughs> I kind of, you know, I, I, I did all of it and I think I did all of it to keep myself busy. Um, and not some, not, not like it was busy for a bad thing, but it was just because my mom was so adamant about us not hanging out and playing. Like, I mean, we played outside, don't get me wrong, but then there were kids who were always out there and started to veer off. Mm-hmm. So my mom was like, you need to be busy. You need to be busy doing something. Um, in doing all of that, I came across music, and I think it was 1987, 87. 1987 maybe, maybe in 87. I, I mean, I always had a love of music, um, but that's when I decided, you know what, I can do this too. 80, 88, even more, I was like, I can do this too. And I had a couple, you know, favorite groups that were out there, and I was like, oh, they could do that, I can do that too. So all of a sudden now I'm in grade eight, getting ready to go into high school and I store, I'm here writing music and my neighbor, one of my neighbors was actually a, a rapper wow. and he was known in the city. And because he was my neighbor, he looked at me like his little sister. So I would get to go to the radio stations and I would help out with, you know, doing track tracking in the stations and meeting people. And I really had really began to have a love of music, even more so. What uh, age group is grade eight? Um, that would be thirteen. Thirteen, so a teenager. Yeah. I was teen. I just came into teen. Yeah, my teen, my teens. <laughs> um, and coming into your teens, you think you know everything. <laughs> And I'm telling you, not that I was a, I wasn't a troublemaker for my mother, but I did have a rebellious, you know, a rebellious phase with, with her. Um, but my mom, for some reason, I was like growing up, I was afraid of my mother. Right. Like my mother instilled the fear of God into us <laughs> and it wasn't, and, and it wasn't even God almighty it was, she was God and don't piss her off. My mom is like, she's an awesome, loving person, but she didn't play. She was strict. And she knew what she, you know, she did what she had to do as a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, so as that, you know, and I say that I was grow when I grew up, I, di- I didn't know my father. Right. Um, I didn't know. I knew where he was in the sense of I knew he was he was in England, but that's all I knew. I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't I didn't I didn't care to know, to be honest. And my mom growing up would always say to people, do not say anything negative to her about her father. Don't do it. And she said to them, when she she will grow up and she will see for herself, you don't need to taint her for her to, you know, to have any type of preconceived notions against him. And growing up, I remember four encounters with my father. Mm. And I look back as an adult now, I remember eight, 12, 16 and I believe 19. Those are the four times I heard from my father. Right. He called me those four times. Um, and 
it was one of those like, well, why are you calling? What do you want? <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. And for me, I didn't realize until later on in life. But because of the situation I had with my father, and it was not that my mother held me back from my father. My, he knew where I was. Yeah. He just never cared to extend his hand to me or to help me or whatever. And I did not realize that I suffered from rejection. Mm -hmm. And this was, a, this was the seed planting of rejection. And, you know, as I grew up, I would, I remember being in school, in grade school, and we would have father, you know, Father's Day comes around and everybody's making cards for their father. And, you know, my, my teachers would say to me, do you want to do this? And I'm like, no. They're like, no. I'm like, I don't have a dad. What am I making this for? Mm. <laughs> but, and then my teachers would say, well, okay, you don't have a dad, but you, do you have uncles? So I would be making Father's Day cards for my my uncles or for my mother. And, I, you know, I laugh about it now, but it was really traumatizing for a child. Everybody in the classroom is making Father's Day, you know, articles and, and crafts and stuff. And here I am like, no, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but then my stepdad, he, I'm telling, like my, so my sister, my sister and I, we had, we have different fathers. Right. And he embraced me as his daughter. Like, and it was amazing. And if anyone asked me about my dad, I'm like, that's my dad. Mm -hmm. um, he passed away when I was 18. Right. And, but from the time that I knew him until he passed away, he always made sure he, he, you know, he was there to help in some form or fashion. And it was like, he's like, I know I, I'm not your dad, but, you know, I'm here if you need. My uncles were the same. They st I, had, I have some really awesome uncles mm -hmm. who came in. And although they were awesome, it was, there was still something missing for me. And it became, well, why did my dad want me? Why did my father not want to deal with me? Why? All the whys. But, you know, growing up, I didn't really focus on it too much because I became so engulfed in music and music I, I think may have been my escape for dealing with a lot of the things that I felt I was going through and when I started music I remember going in high school and and it's funny because I was thinking about it today and it was a girl that I met we were in grade nine and her name was Adrian mm -hmm. and we're still friends to this day and I don't know how we came across, you know, the conversation of hip hop, but we started talking about it. And all of a sudden we formed a group. She and I started rapping together. We got dancers. We were in the studios late at night. And meanwhile, we're only like 13, 14 years old. Wow. Started pursuing music, pursuing music. And music really became life. So I was dancing and I was in music. And then when my mom, I remember my mom telling me that I could no longer do dance anymore because it had really become too much for her. Um, the level that I got to in the traveling and the competitions and everything. And, you know, my mom's doing it all by herself. Mm -hmm. We had, I remember stopping and I had like a meltdown. But what I did was I took the dancing. I then became a, a dance teacher. Wow. So I was teaching kids in low-income housing, I was teaching them dance class. I gave them dance classes, and all the classes were free. 
um, I connected with another low-income area in the city, and I went to the community center, and I started teaching there. So, you know, not that any, I'm not sure if anybody knows, but I, you know, I really want to say thank you to Elaine Robinson, because she gave me that opportunity to teach young girls dance, dance to keep them occupied the way I was occupied when I was their age. So I have, I was doing that and I was doing music. And I, when I was, let me think, I would, I kept, I kept, as I did that, all that, I then came into contact with this young man who became like my first real boyfriend. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, like when you, you start to think back and you're like, what were you thinking? Good Lord. <laughs> but, you know, like I connected with this young man and he actually was, he was a dancer. And the funny thing is he was a dancer with one of my cousins and I had never met him before. And I, you know, when I did connect with him, it was, you know, it was, it was great. It was all fun and, fun and dandy, I guess. And, you know, we, we stopped talking for after a period of time. And this is like my first real love, if you want to call it that, right. which really wasn't real love. Okay. But at the time, it, you know, the world stopped if that wasn't working out. And when I was 19, I had actually I had moved. I'm trying to think back over my entire life. And I'm just like, I had a lot of stuff going on. I moved after high school. I moved out to Los Angeles. Wow. I have my, I have family out there. So my uncle and my cousins and my aunt were out there. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to L.A. I'm going to go find. I'm going to go have a life in L.A. My mom was like, what are you trying to do? I said, I'm going to go find myself. I'm going to find myself in L.A. And my mother asked me, are you lost? You don't know where you are. You need to find yourself. <laughs> and I said, well, you know what? I'm going to be 18 and, you know, I need to, I need to spread my wings. My mother's like, all right, fine, just go. So I moved out to LA and I was with my uncle. And I stayed out there and it was, it was, it was an experience, a true experience. And part of it was I had young, I had younger cousins and then I had an older cousin and then my aunt and my, and my uncle and my younger cousin, the one, the middle child, because it was three or three of them. She was starting to go into a rebellious stage with her parents. And my uncle would talk to me and my, and this uncle, he was like one of my fathers, like he was one of my father figures. And to this day, I'm still a baby for him. Right. And we would talk and, you know, he would say to me, could you talk to your cousin? Can you talk to her? And I ended up becoming this middle ground for both of them because my uncle would try to get stuff to her, to my cousin and she couldn't understand it. I think because it was coming from her parents and then she would try to say stuff to them, but they wouldn't receive it because it was coming from her. So I ended up becoming this referee. Mm -hmm. And after a while it started to take a toll on me and I was like, Oh my gosh, I think I need to go back. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up after a while I picked up myself and I went back and I came back to Toronto. I went, I registered for college, went to college and during college, I reconnected with this first boyfriend of mine, mm-hmm. and I ended up preg- I ended up pregnant. Right. And I had my daughter at twenty. And when I had my daughter, um, <laughs> when I when I found that I was pregnant, mm-hmm. I was at the doctor's office, and I had I think this is so funny, so I want to share it. I was at the doctor's office, mm-hmm. and. I look because the reason I had gone to the doctor's office, I wasn't feeling well and I thought I was catching the flu or something. Sure. So I go 
I go do these tests and stuff and I come back in and they're like, okay, my doctor says sit down. And I'm like, okay. And it's he and I in this room. And he says, we're with, we are, we are with child. What are we going to do about it? So I looked at him and I'm like, oh my gosh, congratulations. I didn't know you and Mrs. Giddens were having babies. <laughs> he thought the doctor was pregnant. <laughs> I, thought, I thought his wife was having a baby. It had nothing to do with me. And right. he's like, no, Effie, it's you. I'm like, me? <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, no way. No way. He's like, yeah, what are we going to do about this? I'm like, what are we going to do about this? I'm like, and my first response was, you're not going to tell my mother, are you? <laughs> And he said, uh, no, that's between you and your mom. And I'm like, oh, so I had to go home now. And I was like so stressed out because I had to tell my mother this. And one of the things that stressed me out was when my stepdad was passed, when he was dying, mm -hmm. he had passed, he died from cancer. Right. And I remember going to the hospital and I was standing in the hospital by next to his bed. And my stepsister, she was um, she was there, and she's a year older than me. Mm -hmm. And she had a baby. And my stepdad took my hand, and he said, I want you to promise me one thing. And I said, what? He said, promise me you're not going to follow in her footsteps. Mm, so, interesting. And, right, and I was just like, okay. But I, when all that happened, I completely... I, it, none of that came, you know, and I'm, as I'm talking about it now, it's all coming back to me. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. So I had to tell my mom and I wrote a letter and my mom, because my mom sang it or she still sings in the church choir. Right. So I, I wrote a letter and I put it in her purse and I figured if she picks it up and she opens her purse in the church and choir, at least she's with Jesus and I'll be OK when she comes <laughs> home. <laughs> so... So, she, you know, she comes home and she comes upstairs and she's like, I guess congratulations are in order. Well, and I was just like, no. And then she looked at me and she said, well, I guess all your friends are doing it. So you're going to do it, too. Hmm. And I looked at my mom and I was like, you mean all my friends? There was one girl I knew who was pregnant. One out of all the friends I had, Frazier, mm -hmm. one person. But yet that one person meant everybody else was. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. And, but in the sense, you know, I'm glad I was able to tell my mom early on because by the time I got to my delivery, every, you know, the adjustment had been made right. and my mom was not that, you know, not that she was okay with it, but she, there was nothing she could do to change it. Right. And the dynamic of our family was, was getting ready to change and all this stuff was happening. And now, you know, I'm going through all of this and, it's still, it's me and my mom. I have no father. Mm -hmm. You have a question, don't you? Yeah, I'll just read a quick summary, a quick backtrack, just before we come to the, once your birth of your child, is uh, mm -hmm. you, you, I think you briefly said, what I do, over the, or when you're doing music in LA, what just, what really said, right, this is it, and we give, just forget the music is done, and I've had enough of it, or what was your sort of, was it quite really hardcore, sort of busy, with all the stuff because you had so much talent and you just decided this is now I can't do it anymore I need to come back what was that the right so what was the decision that made you just completely give up music after because you were obviously being quite successful at such a young age 
Well, at the time, I hadn't, music was still going on for me. Oh, still going on. You I didn't, didn't I was still in music all that time. So you hadn't stopped it even, oh, right, so you hadn't stopped it yet, no. so you're still going. So you've obviously come back to Toronto, just a quick summarise for those who are listening. You've come back to Toronto, you've hooked up your ex, you've got pregnant, now the birth of your child is just around the corner. Yeah. And I'll tell you, when I was, while I was pregnant with my daughter, um, he and I had gotten into like a major issue. And I remember being him. I remember him telling me as far as society is concerned, he only has one child. He had a son. And when I told him I was pregnant, he didn't, one, he didn't want me to have it. Right. Um, two, then he was like, well, you know what? Um, when she's growing up, she um she can know she, what do you say when she was growing my daughter would grow up yeah she could know him as mommy's friend but when she's old enough he would tell her she's her he's her father mm, that, I was like have you lost your mind that's really quite shallow actually wow right so you know as far as he was concerned he and for him in society he only had one child so I had said to him lose my number there ain't nothing here there's nothing here for you because. We're not going to do part-time dad stuff. Mm. It's okay. Um, I remember asking him when I was getting all this stuff together for her. Um, I asked him to, you know, help me with buying the cribs and stuff. And I remember him telling me, well, you know what? I'm going to have to give my mom money for rent. So, and I was like, you know what? I will never again in life ask you for anything. As a matter of fact, we don't even need to know each other. And. I, you know, his, my, so my daughter was born in September mm-hmm. and I remember what going year? to the hospital. What year was that? You know, in, in 1995. 1995. Okay. And you, were, you were 20 years old then, yeah? I was 20, I was 20 years old and my, my mom, she came, so it was me and my mom in the <laughs> delivery room and after I had my daughter, we, you know, we came home. Back then, the doctors would let you stay in the hospital for a few days. Mm-hmm. I think I stayed in the hospital like five days. And the doctor said to me, you might want to take the rest now because once you leave, there's no more resting. And I said, okay. And her father came to the hospital. And when he came to the hospital, he had, he had a bunch of friends with him. And they were in the hallway. And I was like, why are you here? And he picked her, he picked up my daughter, brought her in the hallway to show his friends and then brought her back and put her in her bassinet. And Frazier, I was so livid, but I couldn't even get up because I was in pain. Mm. I was livid and I was not about to start screaming in the hospital to be, (laughs) to be angry black woman. I was not going to do it. Mm. And I remember, you know, leaving the hospital and going home. And she, my daughter had this colicky kind of cough. Mm -hmm. I took her to the doctor, you know, and they were like, oh, there's nothing. She's okay. So I started looking into, um, what do you call it? Looking into herbs and stuff. She had gotten constipated. Right. So I was like, okay, what can I give her, you know, to help her? And I remember this day, it was September, no, it was October 16th, October 16th. 
And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to take her over. I'm going to take her with me because there was nobody home. And I was going to go to the mall to get some, some herbs to, to put into her water and stuff. And I went and took a shower. And when I came out of the shower, I was getting to get myself ready. And I just looked at her. And something just looked really weird. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at her. And then I bent down. And I'm looking at her to see if her chest is moving. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing happening, Frazier. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's going on? So now I'm checking for her to see if she's breathing and she's not breathing. I pick up the phone and I call my mom at work and I'm like, mommy, she's not breathing. And I was like, why are you on the phone with me? Call 911. I get off the phone. I call them and they're telling me how to perform CPR on her. And she was only 17 days old. Good grief. Um, and they came, you know, paramedics came to my house and they the police, so it was the police department, the fire department, and ambulance because I called 911. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the neighborhood, you know, everybody knew I had a baby and whatever else. And the police came and they took her out. And one of the police officers took me to the hospital. And in my heart, I knew, I knew in my heart that she had died. Right. But I was hoping that it was just a really bad dream. Mm-hmm. And I get to the hospital and I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk in there and tell me she's okay. And that wasn't the case. And my family doctor, so my general practitioner mm-hmm. um, that I've had, I had him since I was 12. He's the one that told me that I was having a baby. And he was also the head of the, um, of the hospital. He was, uh, he's also, you know, one of the coroners in the city. All he ha- he's all, he has all these things. And it so happens that day that I walk into the hospital with the situation happening, my doctor is the doctor that's on call, yeah. heading, e- e- heading up Emerge. And he comes out to me and he just looks at me and he's like, F. And he just, and I said, you don't even have to say. And I knew. Right. And he just said, I'm sorry. And he gave me a hug. And it's, I've, I've known him since I was 12. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he saw me grow up. He's like another one of those father figures. And, and I was like, oh, okay. And it wasn't just simply, uh, okay. I was just like, okay, what do I do now? And on my way home, I kept thinking, maybe I'm going to get a phone call and say, come back. She's, she's, she's awake. She's alive. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, I remember sitting down and I refused to go into my bedroom. I would not go in my bedroom. I would not sleep in my bedroom. Nothing. And I was, and I, and that took me right back to being a little girl. Right. And I remember saying to my mom, I said, "Mom, can I sleep with you?" And I'm very thankful for the family I have because my family helped me get through that traumatic experience that I went through. What did and just, what, hmm? did, what did you what did the, what was the actual cause of the death? Uh, did you get a final? So what I found out was um, after they had done the autopsy on her, they said she had a congenital heart disease that could not be detected unless she had passed away. And what happened was when they explained it to me, the doctor said what they found was her main blood valve in her heart. So he said, when you're, when you're pregnant, there's two blood valves that flow into, into the, into the child. Mm -hmm. There's a main blood valve and an alternate blood valve. And usually what happens is the alternate blood valve will, will close up either just before you're born or just after you're born. Right. So what happened was 
we didn't know that her main blood valve was blocked. Had they known when they had we known when she you know when she was delivered, they would have gone in and they would have performed surgery on her. Um, but what happened is it took 17 days for her alternate blood valve to close. And when the blood and when that blood when that valve closed, that's when she passed away. That's it. Sorry. So you were struggling obviously not to go in the room. You couldn't sleep. Um go through the process of what you're what you're going through. Uh meaning how things take time to pass. When did you start to sort of let's say when I say feel normal again, but when the trauma, when did you start to sort of really get your life start to get life back on track after this such a hard situation that's happened? And I'll tell you, one of the things which was so crazy, what really catapulted me back into living my life was I had my, my grandmother had called me. This is my mom's mom. Mm-hmm. And she called me and we were having a conversation and she said to me, and I remember being on the phone talking to her and I was crying. And she said, what are you crying for? And I said, what do you mean? What am I crying for? I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, why are you crying? I said, my daughter just died. And she said, no, she's not your daughter. And I'm thinking to myself, has my grandmother lost her mind? Is she crazy? And she said, that's not your daughter. That's God's daughter. And she said to me, he loves her so much more than you could ever love her. And if she had to go, she had to go. And I sat there for a moment, Frazier, as crazy as it sounded to me at the time, I was like, oh, my God. My grandmother had lost one of her kids. Mm. Actually, she lost two. My mom was a twin. My, my mom's twin died at birth. Wow, okay. And my, my uncle, which was my mom's youngest brother, he died when he was 12. Oh, my goodness. And I'm sitting there thinking about my grandmother while I'm on the phone with her. And I, in, you know, in my mind, I thought, you know, what kind of woman would say that? And those weren't the words that were in my head, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what we're going to use on the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't understand. But when she said that to me, it just transformed everything. And I was like, my grandmother knows what she's talking about. She's lost two kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm just like, oh, my God. And I sat there, and when I got off the phone with her, I just sat there and I thought about it. I really thought about it. And, you know, although I was not walking after the Lord in the relationship I have now, mm-hmm. I grew up in, you know, I grew up Catholic. Okay. So we would go to, you know, we went to church on Sundays, or as long as you got your church in, I'm going to be honest, that's how I looked at it. As long as I went to church, I could do whatever I wanted to do. That was my my my. My saving grace. I went to church. You can't complain. But I, you know, I went to Catholic school growing up. I went to Catholic high school, all these things. And so I had, you know, I knew, I knew God, but not to have a relationship with him. So when I thought about it and I said, wow, he loves her so much more than I could love her. And in the way my grandmother made it seem was like, if he wants her back, he'll just take her back. Although. You know, it's a bit skewed, but I understood what she meant at the time. And I was like, wow. And that conversation really catapulted me back into getting back up and living my life. And 
one of the things that hit me was whatever we go through in life, it's not even about us. It's about us becoming advocates for other people. Mm-hmm. And I say that to say, because later on, I had a girlfriend that I had gone to high school with. Mm-hmm. And she had, she had already had a son. And then her second child was born stillborn. And there was nobody in our circle of friends that could relate to her in regards to losing their child, except me. Now, granted, it was a different it was a different scenario, but I was able to help her through that situation. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Okay, oh my gosh, this is not even about me. This has nothing to do with me." And it hurt. And I'll be honest. I, at one point, I don't think I had ever grieved. I don't know if I even knew how to grieve the loss of my daughter. And I think what I ended up doing was just, you know, brushing it under the rug. Excuse me. And I just kept living life. Mm-hmm. And I masked a lot of stuff. Well, that's, um, I masked a lot. What we'll do is we'll, before, we're going to take a, a brief break and we'll come into talking about the stuff that you've masked a lot and obviously your conversion when you became a Christian and um, how, and just the life changing moments of when you made that decision and obviously the stuff that when you, the unmasking of things that you had realised that you were masking a lot. So we'll take a quick break, we'll come back um, and we'll have a music from Aaron Rigdon, who's a Canadian country artist who's released his debut um, EP. So we're going to play a tune from him. He will also be in time interviewed on Ramsey Unleashed going forward. Uh, so please um, enjoy Aaron Rigdon, Small Town, and uh, we'll be back uh, shortly in a second after a few breaks. We break.
Eloho and Heartsong in Edinburgh as worshippers gather from all across the British Isles for an uplifting and reviving evening of worship at Engage 2018, The Encounter, featuring Philippa Hanna, Mu Yiwa and River Songs, Moji Sola and Shola Oku Nugar. Saturday the 21st of July 2018 from 6pm to 9pm at the prestigious Assembly Rooms in Edinburgh. Doors open at 6pm for a reception hour. Tickets available on www.engageworship.net. Book your free tickets today for Engage 2018. Engage is brought to you by Heartsong Ministries in partnership with Scottish Bible Society, The Estes Company, Mission Aviation Fellowship, Unbound PR, Step Forward, Vine Juice, True Life Promotions, Care for Scotland, One Man in the Middle, Food for the Hungry, and much more. Engage 2018. One God Encounter can change everything. You're listening to Ramsey Unleashed Going Beyond Borders on heartsonglive.co.uk. Your inspirational station. Welcome back. Uh, yeah, this is some, a wee song from Aaron Rigdon. He's just released uh, his debut EP. Um, just another mention to some of our contributors to the show is Guy R. Cook from the Guy R. Cook podcast show. That's guyrcook.podbean.com. Uh, EileenSmith.com, who is a great supporter and help through podcasting as well. We'll hope to have her on the show soon. Uh, also, Hugh Hunter, Cardio Advisor, he does a show. He is the previous former co-host and he is doing a show um, called Cars. So if you're interested in that and also if you're interested in buying a new car, you can hook up with them and maybe do that as well. Um, yeah, so we've got many, many people in For Humanities. Uh, Shannon Griffin, who's a supporter of us as well regarding she this T-shirt. She's a survivor of breast cancer and we'll hopefully have her again, have her on the show, not again, but have her on the show talking about stuff and what she does and what her goals are coming up. So many, many people who contribute to the show and we thank you for them and who support us in what we do and we want to support you uh, back. Uh, also, when we talk about my diet, I may have been losing a bit of stone so far in the best part of seven weeks on a no-carb diet through simplestfat.com. A guy called John Gaunt, who is a radio DJ and uh, does podcasting as well, who are known in the political radio world. Uh, is, so I've kind of been following his uh, sort of diet plans. He's lost about five stone in six months, which is quite 14 pounds in a stone, which is about 550, 70-odd uh, Pounds or whatever, uh, working at the maths of the conversion, but uh, he's lost a lot of weight and uh, feeling great, feeling healthy, and just ditching sugar because it's a lot of sugar that tends to be killing us these days. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, thank you for that. So, I've been kind of keep you up to date with the progress of my weight loss and looking a lot healthier and a little less fatter. This is the good thing. But uh, as we'll kick off with part two, we have a special guest who is on the show at the moment, Ifia Latham, all the way. She's originally from Toronto, Canada, and now she lives and resides in uh, America. Uh, we come to part two, uh, the part uh, where we're kind of taking to the stage that she's just, there's a lot of stuff that she's kind of hidden that's underneath that she needs to release, um, that she needs to we'll talk about that now. And we're going to talk about when she became a Christian as well, and, and then the process goes on. We've so far just a summary. If you've just tuned in, we've been talking about her music, how she was in music. She fell pregnant and she sadly lost her baby um, in, seven, in 17 months uh, due to a, gen- a heart defect. So we've just come to the stage that we've just listened to that and now we're at the next stage of how she's suddenly realised other people have been in the same place, even her, one of her, her grandmother. And she's now... 
at the stage that she's just realised that it's time to take her life back and to move forward and to keep going forward and about to hear that and the things that she's going to be talking about that she's kind of built up, bottled up over the over the time. So welcome back, Ifia. How you doing? Are you still okay? I'm good. I'm still good. I'm really good. That's good. Well, just kick off and carry on with uh, the next stages we're talking about, the things that you've kind of bottled up that you're kind of wanting to try and release. Right. So, you know, I was saying I had I didn't realize, but I had mapped so many things that happened to me in my life. And I think in growing up in certain environments, when things aren't talked about, you don't bring them up and you don't talk about them either. You kind of just figure I got to figure out how to get through it and you keep it moving. And after the, you know, the loss of my daughter, I didn't know how to grieve. When I look at it now, I did not know how to grieve. And I think at the time I thought I was. And I, I just, I fell into a depression. And I just didn't want to do anything. But, you know, like I said, after having that conversation with my grandmother, I was like, okay, wait a second. And I picked myself back up and went, started going back into music again. And I used the pain that I went through to write Mm -hmm. and I would write story, you know, write whatever would come to me. And then I got back into, I don't want to say I got into street life, but you know, my mom did her best to keep us out of the street. And it wasn't that I was in the streets per se, but you know, I started to hang out with, you know, certain friends and I started doing certain things and I started going in another direction and I would write, use that and write music. And then I, I can't remember what, year it was, I think it might have been 97, I connected with, uh, was it 97? It could have been 97. I connected with um, a producer in the, U- in the U.S., and he and I became really good friends, and he was from a really, really well-known hip-hop group at the time, mm-hmm. and he had his own record label. And I ended up becoming, I ended up getting signed to his label. And I was the first Canadian artist to be signed to his, his label. And while I'm here, you know, pursuing music and I was trying to do, do stuff in Toronto, in Toronto. And I was going back and forth a lot between the, between New York and Toronto. I ended up experiencing a, a lot of, you know, people call it shade now, or I just had a lot of stuff. And I was like, you know what? I would try to get my music done because one thing I liked about him, he was like, you don't have to be here to do it. You can do it wherever you want to do it. We'll just put whatever we need to put towards to get it done. And I would come across producers and whatever in the city and I would have such a hard time. And it wasn't that, you know, there wasn't a talent or whatever else. And it wasn't that we didn't have money, but the reality of it, and I'm going to be very open about it was, I had a lot of producers who were trying to sleep with me opposed to taking the money right. to get paid for their service. And because it became so much, I could not handle it. And I said, you know what? I don't want, I don't want the music if this is what I got to go through. And that was when I gave up on music and I walked away. You briefly, and, you briefly said at the beginning, mm-hmm. just as picked up on it, just as letting you go with the, go chat away, the, um, the things you got into. At the beginning, because you sort of elaborated, don't you say, with things I got into, then you stopped. Now, what kind of things did you actually get into, or what bad things were you really, did you get into? So, I remember, 
I remember um, it wasn't so much that I had issues, but, you know, I, I started hanging out with certain groups of girls. And I remember in high school, towards the end, well, were we just out of high school? I think we might have just been out of high school. I would, you know, if there was an issue and we needed to deal with it, when we're all rolling up to deal with it. You know, I'd, be, I'd become a little fighter here. Right. And I started, it was just, I would be out all night. I would start, I started partying and I would be partying literally Monday to Sunday. Mm-hmm. And because I had gone through the loss of my daughter, my mother didn't really pressure me too much. She just kind of said, you know what? She's got to find her way through it. So I would be out. I would come home maybe three, four o'clock in the morning. I would sleep till maybe 12, get up, watch some soap operas, and then wait for one of my girlfriends to call me. We'd pick up and we'd go back out that go out that night. And it became a cycle. Right. And it just became a cycle. And, you know, I started, not that... I, I, not that I had a drinking problem, but I drank more because I would be out and I, I drank socially mm-hmm. and that's what I did. That's just what I did. I, and it, it was just like nonstop. I then became um, really, really into music. And I, although I wasn't doing music, I was still highly involved in the industry. Right. Um, I was a liaison for a record label in New York for Canada I connected with the clothing line and was working for the, of the clothing line as a Canadian liaison from L.A. Um, I was just constantly going. And because of the, the rush you get from being in the industry, I did television, I did radio, I did all these things. But all of it was masking what I was going through inside. And no matter how much I tried to do things, I realized I never really fit in with anybody. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at, at you know, at, at night, laying in my bed sometimes, and I'd be crying. And I'd say, there's got to be more to life than just this. And then, oh, I would get up and be like, you know, one day I'm not going to be here. What's going to happen? One day my mom's not going to be alive. What's going to happen? And I would be so petrified. And I would have, I would, it would just be like constant meltdown. And I didn't realize I was suffering from depression. I did not realize that. And I remember going to the doctor and I despised winter with a passion. Mm -hmm. I was good every other season, but when that came around, I would be a complete meltdown. And the doctors had diagnosed me with seasonal depression. Right. And I was like, what? What is seasonal depression? You know, and I remember during that time when winter would come around, I would try to get out of the city and go somewhere and be somewhere else, be somewhere warm, just so I didn't have to deal with the winter. But I didn't really understand that there was a real problem, and I didn't know what the problem came from. And I remember one day being in the shower, and all of a sudden my mind just flooded back, and I saw things. You know, I was an adult when this happened. I was 20, I can't remember, 20-something years old. Mm-hmm. Maybe like 20, uh, I'm going to say 25, 26, maybe, somewhere around there. And I was in the shower, and I started to see things, like, from my childhood. And, you know, the, 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 the traumatic situations I had been through in life, all of this came rushing back. And I fell down in the shower, having a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And I think this was the first time I was either allowing myself to experience and go through what I went through 
or I was having a nervous breakdown. It was one of the two, and I didn't know which one it was. And I called my doctor, and I told him I need to come in, and my doctor had put me on antidepressants. He said, he's like, you have depression. So he started giving me these, these pills, and I did not like the way I was feeling from them. Mm-hmm. They sent me to see a psychiatrist. Um, I started going through that process with, you know, getting help. And one day I said, you know what? I'm not taking these pills anymore. Forget it. I don't even care. I'm not taking it. I don't like how I feel. It, I'm gaining weight. I'm doing all, and I'm like, I just don't want, no, I don't want this. And that was the beginning, I think, of the transformation that was starting in me, but I did not know that was happening. And I say that because I remember having a conversation with one of my hairstylists and she said, before you became Christian, I saw years before you were starting a transformation. And I think that is what was happening. And I'm going to skip a bit forward. I'm going to go to when I became, what happened. Okay. I started dating, I started dating a guy in 2005. Mm-hmm. 2005? 2006. I don't know. One of the two. No, 2006. I think it was. Crazy. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay. Good Lord. Um, uh, I was dating this guy. Let's put it this way. He was a Christian. Mm-hmm. And um, he was an athlete as well. And, you know, we would hang out and, oh, we, we, you know, we'd have a good time. And one day we started having a conversation and he brought to my attention the purpose-driven life. I've heard of that, yeah. It's a popular book. Yes. And he's like, I want you to read this. And I, at the same time, I had just finished reading the Celestine Prophecy that a girlfriend had given me as a birthday gift. And so he took that book, and I took his book, and I started reading this book. But we would have conversations, and it was ever so subtle. And because I, you know, because I grew up Catholic, we could have conversations about religion. Mm-hmm. So we would talk all different things, and one day, he and I ended up having a conversation. And the conversation went something like, he asked me, what are we? What are we? And now, and when he asked me this question, I was like, why would he ask me this question? I have, you know, I have peace at his house. I practically live at the house. Why would you ask me, what are we? And in me answering the question, I answered it from a place of hurt that I understand now because the person I had dated before him had emotionally destroyed me. Mm-hmm. But he would always say, tell people that's my girlfriend. And when he asked me that, I said to him, I don't like titles. But I never finished the conversation to say the reason I don't like titles is because of this. I just stopped at I don't like titles. And I didn't realize that when I said that to him, that emotionally affected me. And right there and then, he looked at me different. Our relationship changed and everything. Um, that, that same, I think that was in like May of 2006. Mm-hmm. In the latter part of 2006, um, he and I reconnected. Um, but in me reconnecting with him, he was also seeing somebody else. Right. And that ended up coming out, and I was upset. In the sense, I wasn't. I was upset for the fact that the the other person, the other woman, she knew, she knew that he and I were together, 
and whatever, you know, and I said, you know what? Okay. And this, uh, and I'll tell you, before I became a Christian, I was like, if I see her, I'm going to slap her. (laughs) 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 I will slap her. And I had a friend, we had a mutual friend Mm -hmm. and he called me. He's like, she wants to have a conversation with you. (laughs) I was like, you, I said, she wants to have a conversation with me. I said, let me tell you something. Ain't nobody having no conversation. And if you want to get involved in this, you'll get lambasted too. You understand me? <laughs> and he was like, F, I don't want no part of this. I said, I don't think. <laughs> and I remember um, getting a phone call for something. He, he was, I can't remember, something happened and he was in New York. And I said to him, this is what I heard. And he said, well, the street, the street, what do you say? The streets are talking or the streets are lying or something. And I was just like, you know what? You can lose my number. And I thought, and I'll tell you, this was really the the change or the catalyst for everything because I thought without a shadow of a doubt, he was the person I was going to get married to Mm -hmm. without a shadow of a doubt. And when that, that split happened, I really got depressed. And you know, I thought I was journeying through it. And it was just like, well, here you go one more time. You know, once again, this is what happened. And this rejection. And I realized it wasn't even so much that it was him, but it was the rejection that started from childhood that mm-hmm. could not allow me to figure out how to operate in relationships, what to expect in relationships, how to be in relationships. Because I know I remember people saying to me, the first relationship a, a, a boy or a girl has is with their parent of the opposite sex. You learn how to deal with male and female from your parent. Mm-hmm. And so because I never had that interaction or that, you know, with my father, I just thought everybody, nobody, I not even say everybody, I just thought nobody wanted me. Nobody would want to be in a relationship with me. And when relationships ended, I'm like, well, Why would they last? My father didn't even want me. So this was the mindset that I had. And that, after that breakup, it was in December of that year that I was really sitting in this dark place. And I remember one day calling my mother at work and I said to her, I want to apologize to you. I said, but you you might come home and find me hanging in the closet. And I was at the point where I was like, I just don't want, I just can't do this anymore. I didn't want to live anymore, nothing. And after that conversation with my mom, I know my mother freaked out. I know she did. Mm-hmm. She called my cousin who, who worked not far from our house. My cousin rushed from work, came home. And I didn't know because mm-hmm. I was, you know, sizing up. How can I hang off the closet door? Um. And when she came home, my cousin was like, what's wrong? We don't, she's like, we don't do this in this family. We don't do this. My mother called my aunt in Florida. My aunt called me. She's like, we don't do this in this family. If you need to come here, come down here, get a change of environment, do something. But we don't do this in this family. And that's all they kept saying to me. We don't do this in this family. And a girlfriend of mine was living in New Jersey. And she was like, why don't you come down here? My mom's like, just go, go. Don't worry about nothing here. Just get out of the city. You need a change of environment. And I went to New Jersey in that December. And 
I went, I drove my, I drove my car down and I hung out with my girlfriend and she said to me, she's like, girl, I found this church in Brooklyn, in New York. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. And she's like, you got, no, we got to go to this church. And I was like, all right, whatever. We go to this church. This is December 17th, 2006. And we walk into this church in Brooklyn and they were having the Christmas pageant that was there. They had a Christmas pageant and I sat down at the back of the church and, you know, they had their play. When the play was done, the pastor came out, he was on the stage and he did an altar call. And I was sitting in, in my seat at the back underneath the balcony and where the pastor was, he couldn't see where I was sitting. He couldn't even see me, let alone anything else. And when he put that altar call out, I literally felt a hand grab my shirt and pull me forward. Mm-hmm. Literally. I can't even, I, I can't pretend. I literally felt someone grab me and pull me. And I looked down and there's nobody there. There's nobody touching me. Wow. And he says, the pastor says it again. He's like, there's somebody there. You're fighting it. Don't fight it. So I'm sitting there like, I know he ain't talking to me because I already, I, I already know who Jesus is. I didn't drive from Toronto to find out no Jesus. I know who Jesus is. I already know Jesus. And I kept saying this over and over. But this pull on my shirt would not stop. Every time he would say it, I would get this pull on my shirt again. So I turned to my friend and I said, I think he's talking about me. I said, if I go, will you come with me? She's like, what? And I'm like, this is your church. This ain't me. Girl, I don't know nothing about this. But what you you got to come with me. So she was like, okay. I said, if it happens again, I'm going to get up and go. And he said, please. And then the pastor put that final call out. He said, please. He said, listen, I will stand here all day if I have to, but I'm not going to let this day pass and you don't, and you don't answer what God is calling you for. And I said, I got up. And I, I walked around and I walked down the left side of the church. And as I got to the front, at the end of that, the, by the wall, there was a staircase for the balcony. As soon as I got to the front, there was a woman who met me. She was, she was wrestling upstairs, too, mm-hmm. about going. And when we got, we met each other simultaneously, we just joined each other and we kept walking. And the pastor said, now I can continue. And. We, you know, I, I did the sinner's prayer. I went through all this whole thing and I stood there bawling my eyes out. I was crying so hard and I couldn't even understand why I was crying as hard as I was. And the pastor said, which is Pastor A.R. Bernard from CCC, the Christian Cultural Center. I, I love him. He said, when a baby is born and they come into the world, the first thing they do is cry. He said, it's okay to cry. You're born again. All things have become new for you. And I stood there and I cried even the more. Even the more. And that was December 17, 2006, is when I surrendered. And I said, okay, Lord, I don't know what it is, but it's got to be more than what I was going through before. It's got to be more to life than me. And that was the beginning of my journey as a Christian. But I tell people, there's a process that you go through. Some people, when they get saved, they'll get an instant transformation. And others, they're going to journey through some stuff as, they, as the Holy Spirit transforms them. And for me, it was, I got saved Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. 
<laughs> Sunday night. I'm, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be very honest. I got saved Sunday morning at eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, or eleven o'clock Sunday night. I was at a nightclub in downtown Manhattan, uh-huh. and the thing for me was because of the way I had grown up, where you know, as long as I go to church, I can do whatever I want to after. That was still my mindset. So I went to church in the morning, and there was a big party after. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Let's go to the. I'll go to the party. Went to this party. I saw a friend of mine who played for the who played for the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. We were in the club, hanging out, partying the whole night. Like it was just normal. But I didn't realize there was a transformation that was beginning. The next day, and I'm saying this to you know because so people understand there's a there really is a process, and I'm going to be as transparent as I can be. Mm-hmm. I went out the next day. With um, we went to a basketball game because a friend of ours played for the Wizard, uh, the Warriors, and they were in town. So we went to that game. And after that game, there was this big party and whatever else. And you know, went and I was drinking, drinking like I normally drink. And sometimes I would, I could out drink men. Right. And you know, that night, that was it. I I drank so much that I ended up passing out at my friend's hotel. My car is parked on the side of the road in Manhattan by Central Park. I was at the Ritz Hotel. Wow. And my car is parked on the side of the road. I pass out, completely pass out right here. Mm-hmm. I wake up in the morning. It's 9 o'clock. And I'm having a meltdown. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. I'm in New York. I don't know where my car is. My car has gone to a pound. I'm not going to be able to find it. There's too many pounds in the city. What am I going to do? Big meltdown. And my girlfriend, she's there with me. Mm-hmm. She's going through her own thing because she had found out that her father was diagnosed with he was dying of cancer. So we had, we both had drank our, our night away. Mm-hmm. And I go outside. And there was a parking sign that said no parking from 7 a.m. till whatever time. And I came out and my car was sitting there. Cars never in New York City like that and you don't they don't and I said oh my god there's got to be a god and I went to the car and I sat in the car and I had such a hangover that if I even turned my head I was going to bring up right it was so bad and I sat in the car and I heard that was your last hurrah you went out with a bang and that's when the, I realized the transformation really started in me. And God really was starting to have his way. Because after that, I didn't even want to drink anymore. I, I got, we got back to my girlfriend's house and we just sat there. We ordered some soup because all I could do was drink soup broth. I couldn't even eat anything. I was so sick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the journey started. And after I, after I came in, I started going to New York every other weekend to go to church because I didn't know. I didn't know nothing about this new life that I was walking into with Christ, but I felt very comfortable with Pastor Bernard. And I would fly in every other Sunday. And at the same time, I heard, you know, in my, I had, I believe God had told me he wanted me to move. So I was in the, in transition and I was moving to Florida. And when I say to you that certain things happen and you know that God had to have done it, yeah. when God told me to move to, to, um, to Florida, I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? 
But if you're telling me to go, I'm going to go. And I was like, Lord, well, how, how will I do this? And I got something in the mail that showed me that one of the airlines was doing this um, two-month unlimited travel. Wow, nice. But eight, for $800. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? $800? I could travel unlimitedly for two months on this airline. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I had gotten, a, had gotten this job. But the job ended, it was like a contract position, and it ended at the right time that I then leave to Florida. Then when I was in the process, like, okay, how am I going to pay this $800? I tell you no lie. Two or three days later, I got a credit card in the mail. <laughs> I was like, what? What is all of this? I bought, so I went and I bought this pack, this airline package, and I started moving my stuff every other weekend. So I was going to, I was going to Florida, you know, one weekend, the next weekend I was going to New York to go to church and I would, I would keep doing that rotate, rotate. And when I wasn't there, um, I would have people that, you know, they would take notes and my sister. Mm-hmm. So my father has that he has seven children. Right. And one of my, my, one of my sisters, she and I are really close. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually the only one that I, that I have, a, I have a relationship with and come to find out the church that I got saved at was her church. <laughs> But she was it, she wasn't in New York the weekend that I went to that church. She was in Indiana because her boy football. Um, in, he was in college playing football. Right. And I remember calling her, and I'm like, "Sis, I went to this church. Oh my gosh, you know, it was just amazing." And I was telling her, and she said, "What was the name of the church?" And I told her, she started laughing. I'm like, "Why are you laughing?" She's like, "That's my church." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my gosh, for real?" She's like, "Yeah." And here goes, you know, here's the start. And I was just like, I was blown away. So blown away. And I moved, you know, I moved off to Florida. And the reason I went is because I heard God say to me, I want you to go and rehouse my children who have been misplaced by storms. And when he said that, I thought in my natural mind, it meant those who have gone through hurricanes and stuff who need, you know, they need somewhere to live. So I went into real estate. So when I got a real estate license and I did all this stuff in Florida, I moved down to Florida. But I found out later on that what he meant was those who have gone through the storms of life who have gotten who they are, I want you to help them come back to finding who they are. And that's how everything, the ministry started, um, started a homeless ministry, and the homeless ministry came, which was um, called Project Warm Up. Mm-hmm. And what it is is, I go out in the winter time and I find all the homeless people in a grid that that God will sh- He tells me where to go, and we we supply the need we can to the homeless because a lot of them will not get up and go into the shelters because they don't trust the shelter. Mm-hmm. So, and I said to God, you know, I don't understand. He said, I want you to get up. And this was after I had a conversation with him one day, and I was in tears, crying, and I was like, "Lord, why is it that everybody I love does not love me back in return? What did I do wrong? What was I doing wrong?" And he said to me, "I want you to get up. Let's go." And I'm like, "Go away!" But I'm like, "I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take you on a on a journey." And he took me down in the city. We went around, and I looked up, and I want you to count these people. I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. And then when I was done, he said, I want you to go and buy blankets and I want you to buy, you know, gift cards and I want you to do that. 
And I want you to go and give it out to the people. I'm going to show you what love is. And I went out and I started, you know, doing this and building relationships with people. And I remember sitting down with him one day and God said, now, do you understand what love is? I said, love gives without expecting anything in return. Because the people that I was helping, there was nothing they could do. To, they couldn't give me anything back. But when I, when I got into this homeless ministry, it was like one of the greatest things that I was, I was able to partake, partake in. And I still do it. And this is now, I mean, I've jumped around a bit in my story, but this is now nine, coming up on nine years, I believe. Nine years of this homeless ministry. And actually, it could be a bit longer, to be, to be honest. But I understand what, you know, what love is. And we don't do things expecting anything in return. Because those that we give love to, they may not be in a position to give us love back because they don't even know how to love themselves. So, you know, the homeless ministry came out of that. And this is, this has just been a journey that I've been on. Then in 2012, my uncle passed away. Mm-hmm. He lived in New York. And my uncle was one of the greatest individuals I knew. <laughs> my uncle, he would say, you know, my door is open. Whenever you want to come, come. And my mom would say to him, stop telling her that, because when you tell her that, you know she's going to jump up at any time and come to New York. And, and it was true, because whenever I talked to him, he's like, are you, you know, how are you doing? Are you okay? He's like, you know, the door's open. I'm like, okay. And it got to a point, Frazier, where I would jump in my car mm-hmm. or rent a car or whatever. And I, would, I wouldn't even tell my aunt and my uncle I was hurt. I would be getting off the highway, and I would call and be like, are you guys home? <laughs> <laughs> and my uncle was like, yeah. He's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, does your mother know where you are? Yeah, I told her I was coming to you. She was like, and my uncle would be like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so when my uncle, my uncle passed away, mm-hmm. I, you know, I had to make sure I made sure I was there. I remember my aunt calling me saying that you know, he was in the hospital. He wasn't doing well. And I said to my mom, I'm like, I got to go. And we jumped in our we jumped in our car. We went, and I'm so thankful that I went that weekend. It was right before Labor Day weekend, mm-hmm. or it was Labor Day weekend, and I got to see my uncle before he passed away. Mm-hmm. I got to pray with my uncle, and I remember him laying in the bed. He had he had passed away from liver cancer, I believe, it was cancer of the liver. And my uncle my uncle was there holding on. And I realized he was holding on because he was not, he wasn't comfortable with leaving my aunt. Right. And I remember sitting there praying with him and I said, Uncle Cliff, I said, Uncle Cliff, auntie's going to be okay. We're going to make sure she's okay. And when I said that, tears ran out of his eyes. And I said, it's okay. She's going to be okay. We'll make sure she's okay. And I remember leaving New York the Monday, Monday or Tuesday. I think it might've been the Tuesday. And it was on, it was on my journey back that my uncle died, but nobody, you know, they waited till we got home back into, into Toronto to um, tell us that uncle Cliff had passed. And when he had passed, I went back for the funeral 
And I connected with some of my cousins that I hadn't seen for 10 years. Right. And, you know, we're like, how did we let 10 years go by and we weren't connected? We didn't talk. We didn't do anything. And it was at that time, um, one of my cousins had sent me like a message. And when I got back home, the Lord had said to me, I want you to wake up and send a message. I'm going to tell you what to write. And I want you to write it and send it to your friend. I wrote a text with a text message and I started sending these text messages back. And this was in 2012. And I did it, and I still do it every day. I've never missed a day where I've gotten up and I've heard the Lord give a, give a word for the day and I would send it out. And in 2016, that is when God had said, okay, put a book together. And in the, in the process of writing the book, I was like, Lord, I don't even have time. I was working full time and I was, you know, doing all these things. And I said, Lord, I need time. And I got into an elevator accident at work. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being off for a month. And during the time I was off, I was able to put the book together. And that book really came because of my Uncle Cliff. Mm-hmm. And that was the first book. And at the time when I wrote the book, it was called The Daily Word, Frame Your Day for Victory in 60 Seconds. That book went number one on Amazon. Wow. I then started, I wrote, a, I wrote a kid's book. And the week after I, I wrote the kid's book, I got a letter from a lawyer mm-hmm. telling me to cease and desist using the daily word mm-hmm. in, my, in my publication. Because there was a magazine that, right. that had that name. And I sat there and I cried. I was like, everything I have believed, everything I have done, I've, everything I've, you know, I've, I've walked out for God. I said, and now this is taken from me too. What else? What else? And I couldn't find anybody for three days. God wouldn't let me talk to nobody for three days. Mm-hmm. I called my lawyer. I couldn't get the lawyer. I called my consultant. I couldn't get the consultant. No. And then I spoke to one woman and she and I kind of just were brainstorming and she said, listen, we're going to figure it out. And God said to me, what have you been, what have you been branding? And everything was frame your day. He said, that is the name of the new book. Just remake, redo the book, retitle the book, get a new cover and re-release the book. So I had to go in and do all of that. And I, and I felt like I was really starting from scratch all over again. Cause the first book had gotten so much momentum, Every, you know, had done really well. And now I have to relaunch and I'm like, what, what's going to happen with this one? And going through that, it just showed me that had I let, had God let it continue the way it was, uh-huh. that company could have came after me for every single dollar I would ever make on that book. Right. Because I wasn't in infringement. So I would, you know, as much as it hurt at the time, in hindsight, I'm like, you know what? I'm very thankful that that, that, that did happen. Do quick summary. Well, obviously, if you've been listening so far and you're still listening in the radio, um, certainly I've been, <laughs> thankfully there is a toilet roll uh, in the studio because I've been using the tissues too because I've been feeling quite moved actually by a lot of what you've been saying. And if, for those who have been listening to the show, if you are still listening, and I hope you are, that you've been moved as well by what Ephia has been sharing. Before we come into the last part, yes, we have run over, but I did say we would probably this would go longer because I knew this 
Ifia had a lot to talk about and a lot to share. So, take a very, very brief break in a song we played by uh, Riley Siebert. And it's, uh, it's if I can actually remember the right, that I read my own writing, uh, which help, would help. Uh, we'd, I don't want want to be so sad. That's from uh, anyway. <laughs> we'll play it anyway because it's good. Because um, I had a listen. So he's a, another artist that sent me some music to play, and we'll come back after this song just to hear about the more the, what she does. If you does with frame your day now and more what she does with regarding her books, and she also does a lot of Facebook lives and talking and her sort of, her brand now basically. So we'll be back in a second. It won't be so bad 
listening to Edinburgh, Scotland's must-listen-to podcast on heartsonglive.co.uk, your inspirational station. And welcome back. Um, it's not just my show that you can listen to on a Saturday night. There's uh, other shows on heartsonglive.co.uk you can listen to. If you uh, have an inspirational story or you're passionate about something uh, you want to talk about, uh, feel free and connect with the station owner, Eloho, uh, via the website. Uh, she has a rise with Eloho every Monday to Friday, 7am. So if you're awake, uh, don't have to be necessarily in the UK and awake. You can be at other parts of the world. If you may not be sleeping and staying up late and just happen to catch a rise with Eloho, I highly recommend it. Maybe you have a passionate, you're passionate about something and you have an inspirational story that could benefit being on our show and you want to spread the word to a different audience, feel free and connect with Heart Song Live and uh, have a chat because you, you never know. You just never know. We're at the latter part of our guest, Ifi Alitham. I have <laughs> just, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm astounded. You just, wow, your story so far has been absolutely, yeah, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you've, I'm very, I'm very moved, very moved, very, very moved. Um, certainly got me. Aye, the waterworks have been kind of kicking off. Um, yeah, so thank you. And tell us, just you, you frame your day is now kicked off in the process, and what your what's your goals for it? What's your plan? What's the, what's kind of God given to you to where you want to take it? Uh, because you don't just, and also you know you do a jewellery range as well and you can talk about tell us what your sort of thing where you're, where you're going now okay so frame your day um, I actually have uh, frame your day with Afia on Instagram and on Facebook Thursdays at 1pm Eastern Standard Time and that just really became an extension of the books that are currently out. Um, I have two books for adults. The first one is Frame Your Day for Victory in 60 Seconds. Um, Then there was Frame Your Day for Victory for the School Year for Kids. And then the third one came out May 1st of this year, which is Frame Your Day, Frame Your Life for Victory in 60 Seconds. And it also has a companion book that goes with it. So you take the devotions that you read in the morning, you you know, there's in the companion book, there are questions and stuff that you have to answer. And then when the day is done, you come back and hold, you know, check to see if you hold yourself accountable for what you said you were going to do throughout the day. Um, so the, that is the books, but then this show, this talk show teaching, it's more of teaching. We talk about, you know, whatever God gives me, we sit down and we talk and we go through the scriptures. So Frame Your Day with Afia has become a real big ministry tool that has literally hit everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have listener um, participants from over in the UK, in Pakistan, in um, in Africa, in America, in Australia, everywhere, literally everywhere. And I'm very, very thankful because I never saw myself in a position to be a teacher, to be a minister, let you know, anything in regards to that. But what I do, you know, look back and say from a little child, I said, I, w- I remember saying I was born to entertain, but I never knew that it would be with a microphone for God's glory and for his purpose. So 
you know, if just coming and you're listening, you can, you know, you can find me on Facebook at one o'clock Eastern Standard Time for Frame Your Day with Afia. And there's a lot that God packs into it that allows us to come out and, you know, give us tips. And it's one thing I'm really, I believe heavily on is teaching with simplicity mm-hmm. so that people are able to understand. Because when you understand, you can then get a revelation. And then once you have revelation from it, yeah. transformation take place in your life. And then from that transformation, you get manifestation. So I'm very, very thankful for Frame Your Day. Um, you know, it's it, it just it's a year now, over a year that we've been teaching. I've been teaching that. I always say we because yeah. I realize it's not me alone. It's me and the Holy Spirit. But we, whenever you hear me say something like, yeah, we do this. Mm-hmm. That's my partner. Yes. He's my hidden partner, unseen partner. We do it together. Um, so we have that. And then um, I have Kingdom Beads, which launched uh, June 1st of this year. Mm-hmm. It's a jewelry line and Kingdom Beads. It um, It is elegant. I say it's elegant pieces of heaven. And the reason it came to be is, you know, God is honestly, when I say God is simply amazing, he really is. Um, there was a woman I was buying my jewelry from in Atlanta and I just got to a point where, you know, right at the moment, I wasn't really able to continue buying at, on the, at the rate I was buying. Right. And, um, you know, it fell in my spirit. Try making some yourself. See if you can make this yourself. And I talked to my mom and I, she had me make some bra- um, some bracelets for her friends because after she had retired, they went to have lunch. And everybody that got them, they were like, oh, my gosh, they loved it so much that they literally put it on right there at the lunch table wow. and everyone, they were wearing their jewelry. So we, we, you know, I gave some, she gave some away to her friends. And then I did a couple different designs and I showed a girlfriend of mine who's a celebrity hairstylist. Mm. And she's like, I hope you're selling this. I was like, what? She's like, I'll sell it. She said to me, it's going to sell. I'm going to sell it in my salon. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I was like, what? So then I started looking at, okay, well, where am I going to get my supplies from? And I found this one place and I went there and I, there's some stuff that they didn't have. So I went to another location and a different place, a different store. And I connected with this woman and this woman just started talking to me and started asking me questions. And you know how sometimes when people are talking to you and you know, you don't know what they're talking about, (laughs) but you sometimes stand there like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So I'm going to be honest. I faked it till I made it. I was standing there telling, acting like I knew what she was talking about. <laughs> and when I finished, she was like, do you have your master business license? And I said, no, not yet. She's like, okay, well, as soon as you get it, let me know. Because that will then drop a lot of the pricing in my, in my, my store up to even 50% off the, the price that's there. Right. I was like, what? <laughs> this woman... <laughs> Her prices are good already as it is, but then I could get another 50% off. Mm-hmm. She she now became my supplier. Wow. For for my for you know my jewelry stuff. And ever since I've connected with her, she has been such a godsend. Mm-hmm. And I realize when God has ordained you to do something, you don't have to force to make anything happen. Because it will just happen the way He's He's designed it to. And this woman has helped me so much that I have, excuse me, I have seen this, 
within one, we're not even at a month yet. We are only 16, 16 days in mm -hmm. and Kingdom Beads is starting, is doing very well. Wow. I have a woman's line, I have a men's line, and I have a line for children as well. The King's, uh, the King's line, yeah. The men's line is called the King's Jewels. <laughs> and the children's line is called Jazzy's Beads, and it's named after my niece, Jasmine. Mm -hmm. um, she has actually designed the pieces herself. She's designed the first four pieces, and she's six. Wow. So, so she's, yeah, she's all about it. And what, you know, one of the things with this Kingdom Beads, it is, it was created to, for us to be reminded that we are descendants of royalty. Mm. And it's also, you know, when I look at it, it's a really nice and stunning reminder of the king that lives on the inside of us. And what happens is, or what happened, or how it came to be, the, the beads that we use are precious stones. And they are stones that were used either in God creating the breast, the ephod, the breastplate on the ephod, or where he was building the new Jerusalem. So we use the same stones that God himself used. And this is why he said, you can call it kingdom beads and be reminded that there's a king in you. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm very excited. Like, you know, very, very excited. You can find them on afialetham.com in the shop. Actually, you can find everything in afialetham.com. <laughs> the books are in there. Um, the jewelry is in there. And one of the things I'd like to do, Frazier, okay. uh, I... I'm very, very thankful for you. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to do is we have created a coupon for your listeners. Okay. Um, they can use, it's 20% off. They can go to the website at feelethem.com. And the code for your listeners is unleashed. And it will give them 20% off on whatever they purchase in the store. Okay. That's great. So if you're listening, if you're listening to my show or maybe any other shows, you feel free to just unleashed. And you can uh, you can purchase some look at the check out the jewelry on ethialethum .com or the the website will or the show notes will be uh, for the podcast afterwards if you've not managed to catch the live you catch the read this as a replay um, we thank you anyway um, but also if you're interested in purchasing please uh, check out ethialethum .com, um and any, and we'll have all the like all the stuff is there that you can purchase from her and. Uh, this has been an amazing interview. It's uh, been very, very... And you did say you had a lot to talk about. You certainly have... <laughs> certainly have had a lot to talk about from each little aspect of your life. And... Yeah, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm lost for words because I'm actually quite emotional. But... <laughs> um, uh -oh. Which is good. This, is, this means yeah. the spirit is moving. And yes, is thank you. This whole new concept that I've come up with to interview people and inspiring stories from all different backgrounds, and this is what the whole point of this is about: is to be unleashed, is to be raw, it's to be as it is. And yeah, there's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, there's going to be whatever, but it's going to inspire, and that's the main thing. And. I'm looking forward to not just next week's interview, the week after, and so on, to whoever people I'm going to be interviewing on this platform. And I look forward to it. It's going to be great. And uh, please connect with Ifia. If you haven't already, please connect with her. She will. She's inspirational. And just who knows, you know where the next chapter may lead. So thank you for... Ah, oh, crumbs. You're just... You're, 
totally in a wreck. My nervous right now. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, you know, I want to say no matter what happens in life, yeah. we come out a winner. Exactly. You know, and my story is just is it's one of one of a bill, you know, one of the billions of people. But if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. And yes, we have ups and downs, but God is still good and we still win. Exactly. Just don't give up. That's it. Exactly. Uh, so I want to thank you for everyone who has been uh, listening to here and thank you for Ephia. Give us a close out uh, onto the show. A wee close-out message to everybody who has been listening. Um, you know what? And like I just said, whatever you're facing in life, if you will allow yourself to let go and let the one who knows all things take over for you, you can't lose. There, you know, and I, from a from a standpoint in the spirit. The enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy you so that you don't fulfill your purpose. But when you know that you have purpose and everyone who's listening to me right now, you have purpose. So don't let anybody tell you that you don't have purpose. But when you allow yourself to let God move in and through you, everything that is in there, he will bring it out and it will come to pass. I promise you. All the times I wanted to give up, I'm thankful that he wouldn't let me. And because he wouldn't let me, he won't let you either. You can win. There is a winner and a king that lives on the inside of you. And I thank each and every one of you for listening today. Thank you, Frazier, for having me on no Ramsey Unleashed. No problem. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, next week we have Altavis Pelzer on. Uh, we'll be talking about a different angle to uh, her, what she usually talks about. Uh, our challenging story, which will be. Uh, and the week after we have a guy called Winston Ben Clements. Uh, and we'll have more music from upcoming artists that we've been sent, uh, which we look forward to playing. Uh, so thank you for listening it has been a very very long show and a very very good show and yeah you're going to have to sit down for a lo- lots of cups of tea to listen to the replay if you've missed the live so please please thank you for su- supporting us thank you for supporting Hearts on Live the, the podcast excuse me the podcast show and everybody who's involved please, please keep listening please keep supporting us and uh, yeah thank you and good night <laughs>